sailboat racing in San Diego. On this episode, I get to talk to Mike of Blind Squirrel and all things Santana 3030, one of the most perfect boats for racing in San Diego. Thanks, Sarah. Good to see you, too. So what is your boat? I mean, it's raving. I own Blind Squirrel. It's a Santana 3030 GP. It's been a SoCal boat, I believe, all of its life. Lived in Seal Beach for a little bit and been in San Diego for maybe seven or eight years now. It was originally designed under the MORC rule, so it's a relatively light boat. Um, it rates 120 under PHRF, and we have a pretty competitive group that we race against out here. What does MORC mean? It stands for Midget Ocean Racing Circuit, and it's rating rule from the 80s that allowed designers to build pretty all-around boats, boats that can handle different conditions pretty fairly and maintain good seamanship, which was an issue with some of the other rating rules at the time. So MORC put out boats like the Santana 3030 and others that were pretty well balanced. What attracted you to this particular boat? After sailing in San Diego for a few years and noticing the wind conditions and the water conditions that we have, I knew with a lot of the bay racing, we see a lot of flat water and usually lighter air, not a lot of heavy weather, not a lot of big waves. So I wanted something that was pretty lightweight and also had a lot of sail area. And I was okay sacrificing heavy weather performance to have that edge in the lighter air. And the Santana 3030 has a, a good amount of sail area and is relatively lightweight. It also goes upwind really nicely. And we see a lot of courses that will have long upwind legs. So after sailing here for a few years, I started to see what the conditions looked like and the boat felt like a really good fit. Very San Diego specific decision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I was living in the Bay Area, maybe, or back uh, on Lake Michigan, that boat would probably be a lot of pain to sail and big wind. It's overpowered really easily. But for San Diego, the boat's really well suited. And knowing that I'd be sailing mostly here, it made sense. Its name, Blind Squirrel? It came with the boat. Everyone seems to think it's kind of funny and the graphic on the side is sort of comical. So I figured it would be a shame to change it. Yeah. And uh, it makes for some fun comments out on the water. That's very cute. I'm not sure if you mentioned but how long have you had Blind Squirrel? Um, I've had it for about four years, I think. I'll have to go back and check, but it, it feels like longer. It feels like it's been part of the family for a while, but we're going on year four here. How did you get into sailing? So I grew up in the Midwest, and my dad was a big sailor, and he sailed with my grandpa and my uncle and his friends. When I came along, there wasn't much sailing going on. He had moved away from sailing to take care of myself and my brother, so the family life sort of took over, but the stories of sailing that he shared always inspired me to want to do something similar and specifically tales of adventure and what they would experience on Lake Michigan set something off inside me that made me realize I want to do that too. So at a young age, I want to say nine or 10, I started sailing on a small boat on a small lake in Michigan and I just couldn't get enough of it and that continues to the day. You started with thinking racing, is that right? Yeah, it was a, a flat bottom boat called a butterfly, gal shape. So they're really unique boats. They're mostly sailed in the Midwest pretty good for small lakes, but they don't have a traditional bow shape of a normal boat. They don't handle waves very well, so pretty restrained to small lakes. How long have you been in San Diego? Going on 
six years. Six years. And what were you sailing before Flying Squirrel? Flying Squirrel is my first keel boat or big boat. Before I was living in Chicago, I sailed on a Peterson 34, an old IOR boat. And then I sailed on a, a Tartan 10 and I sailed on my family boat with my dad and brother, a Cayenne 41, and then a whole slew of other boats. Uh, but I didn't own a keel boat until Blind Squirrel. So it's my first big boat, if you will. What draws you to racing rather than just cruising? I think for me, the hyper focus combined with the teamwork aspects are the two key ingredients that make sailing and, and racing for me really fun. When we're racing, there's always a game of chess going on. And I think for me, my brain likes to always have something to chew on or think about. And while cruising is great, for me, the idea that we can maximize the boat and see how fast we can make it go on a course and then having other boats to compare against is really exciting. It gives me an opportunity to share that with other individuals that also like to try to solve that same problem all at the same time. How do you think Flying Squirrel does generally in the races? We can do well. We've had some really good races and then we often finish consistently in somewhere in the middle of the fleet. We try to play the long-term game for the season and, and just continue to have consistent performance. We struggle if it gets heavier, like talked about earlier, if, it, if it's windy, we, we fall over really easily. So we need, all of a sudden we need eight, nine people on the rail and that's a tough luxury to have sort of day of. So if it's windy, we don't do as well. If it's lighter, we, if we make the right decisions, we can perform well, but oftentimes we don't, and then we figure that out after. What makes Flying Squirrel win? I think kind of based on like the idea of continued improvement, we always do a breakdown after each race and discuss what went well, what we can work on, something that happened that was good, something that happened that was bad, how we can improve it. And I think that long-term, that fuels our ability to get better, which keeps us competitive every time mm -hmm. and keeps the crew member competitive. And also allows us to learn from our mistakes. So having that learning mindset is key. And then really not pointing the finger at anything outside of our control. I think we see that a lot. Uh, I caught kelp. Uh, the wind didn't blow my way. Uh, you know, my guy on the boat screwed. Any of these things are the wrong mentality where we can internalize and figure out what we could have done better. We can improve. And I think that's got to start with each individual on board, that mentality. Yeah. How do you assemble your crew? That's probably been the most fun part for me. I'm a big people person and trying to create an environment where everybody is always able to learn regardless of skill set, I found has been really important for us. So whether it be on the bow or in the middle of the boat or the back of the boat, tactics, whatever it, it may be, ensuring that we have an environment of learning keeps people coming back and allows individuals to continue to improve, which I think is human nature to some extent. And when we can harness that and nurture that on the boat, then we build a really strong team. Some of the people who sail with, with me and sail with us on the Blind Squirrel have been sailing before. Or, uh, I own the boat. We have a few crew members that come out routinely and sailed with the, the past owners, which is really fun and a point of pride that we've maintained friendship uh, through the boat. And then some of our sailors have been introduced to the sport on Blind Squirrel. One of our bow team, he started sailing a couple years ago and now has really excelled. And uh, that's been fun to see the combination of old crew, new crew, and then some friends as well that are really great sailors that we're lucky to have on board. So continuing to have that circle of learning from the top to the bottom has has created a really healthy ecosystem for our boat. Yeah, our crew seems pretty consistent. Yeah, we have a good core, and then depending on availability, people rotate in and out. So we have a good 
mix where there's usually one or two people who are relatively new and they can use it as an opportunity to continue to learn. And then uh, while other people are, are out, we can kind of rotate around. Since you've been so successful at having new crew and keeping crew and helping them grow their skills, do you have any suggestions on communication or what works and what doesn't? Yeah, I think racing and specifically spinnaker sailing and for us, a boat that runs symmetrical spinnakers, asymmetrical spinnakers, we have a, a lot of lines, a lot of spaghetti going on. It can be really intimidating. So someone who comes on board, first off, they have to bring a genuine interest or uh, have a, an ability to show up. And that kind of gets weeded out early. But once you find somebody who has the desire or ability to, to show up, connecting the dots and showing a path towards understanding this complex machine that has you know, spaghetti all over the place. Mm-hmm. It can be really intimidating to come on for a race and see that and think, well, I, there's no way I could learn that. But we try to make a really clear path for people so they can find a way to add value to the boat. And as soon as someone adds value to the team, then they have a sense of accomplishment. Since our goal isn't necessarily to win every race, it's to learn, get better, have fun. If someone can add to the equation and feel that sense, then they're going to feel the fun. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to learn something and they're going to do it while giving back the greater goal team. What's your ideal size crew? I like to sail with all my friends, which is a lot sometimes. So I would love to sail with 10 or 12, uh-huh. but it becomes difficult to manage that. So yeah. we usually sail between five and seven. We okay. can race with four. For us, five to seven is kind of our target and that's pretty manageable to get people out. Who are you looking at when you're racing? Who do you advise on? Who are you mostly competing against? It's fun because in our series, we have our CRA races on Saturdays where we'll compete a lot against uh, Rum Runner, Sea Maiden. And then we'll have our Perf races where all Nair will come out. We'll see Fandango as well. But then we'll do races like the Hot Rum series where we'll have 100 boats. And those same competitors will be there, but then we'll add in Sprig or we'll add in Marlin or other boats that we don't see as often. But most consistently, Sea Maiden and Blind Squirrel have been rivals for a long time. It's been a fun uh, race always with them. And Rum Runner and, and recently Pelican has been doing really well. So we have a, a really really fun crew of boats that come out consistently. What is your preferred course? Short course? Longer? It's a funny question. For me personally, I like long distance offshore racing. The Chicago Mackinac race, Newport to Cabo, Puerto Vallarta, those type races. Blind Squirrel is, is not the right boat to go offshore on, but we still really enjoy those races. The San Diego Ensenada, the Newport Ensenada. But the boat is limited because of its size and it doesn't like the big breeze and waves, so it, sometimes it can be a little hairy, but I love the distance racing for me personally. For the boat, I really like the Hot Rum series, mm-hmm. races that take us out of the bay. I enjoy. I'm not a huge fan of uh, really repetitive courses, windward lures, um, but that's part of sailing, part of racing. So we do those and, and enjoy them as well. So how did you do, how did you like this Hot Rum series? It was a, a really challenging series. Uh, the first race, the wind shut off right as our group started and it stayed shut off for a while. It was really technical getting out of the bay each race. We had two races where we raced upwind. We made some good decisions. We made some bad decisions. Overall, I was happy with the way we executed on our plan. We had really good sail handling. We had some great boat speed, great trim. We were able to do really well given some of the gambles that we took and some of them which we definitely lost. What were some of the gambles? Getting out of the bay in the first couple of races, we tried to find the wind and it's tough. It's kind of a moving target. I think in the first race, we sailed too far to the right side. The wind kind of shut 
shut off. In this most recent race, Hot Rum 3, on the way back into the channel, we hugged the Point Loma side, which paid off really well. And then we stayed on that side for too long and paid the price, and that didn't work out. Local knowledge. Do you have any tips on that? San Diego's a, a interesting one. I think the current is really important. We always think of the current and try to add it into our game plan. I think in the light air and in the shifty stuff, and this applies really to anywhere, but I definitely had to learn it when I was sailing scows back in the Midwest, really actively looking for the breeze and tacking on shifts, dedicating someone to make those decisions is the most important thing for tactic. If you miss the shifts, you know that it's going to be really hard to stay competitive. That's a skill, seeing those shifts and knowing what they're going to do. Yeah, we've been trying to get better at using the compass and hard data to help make our decisions, which sometimes I feel like we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants, which works relatively well, but also uh, we know the best folks use data and make decisions that are driven by those numbers. So I think using the compass and getting a good rhythm with that is something that we're trying to get better at and definitely an area for improvement. Darts and marks, how do you handle that? What I'm getting at is rules of the road and when things get kind of hairy, how do you maneuver through that? How aggressive are you willing to get? It really depends on who we have on board. If I have someone calling tactics, James is one of our tacticians. Henry can call tactics, Sasha, a group on our boat. I'm very willing to hand those responsibilities off if the individual feels comfortable. And oftentimes they, they do, and they do a great job to help with making the right call. And the reason I like to do that is one, it allows someone to focus completely on that decision and allow me to focus on boat speed and thinking maybe further down the course or thinking about boat handling things. So if I have someone you can help call tactics, we'll often assign that job solely to that role. And then from there, they'll help dictate the decision to me and then the rest of the crew of what we think makes sense. My dad always sailed very conservatively. And I think I have some of that in me, although he'd probably disagree. I think we're, I'm usually the more conservative voice on the boat. And then that will get paired with someone else who can really see the situation and, and help us make the right decisions mm -hmm. to not lose an advantage. Any fears or thrills that come to mind or stories of when you really were scared or you really thought things were going to go south? Yeah, yeah. We have we have a whole bunch. We have a lot on our boat of funny stories, as any anyone does. Um, back to the training the crew piece one of my best friends James he moved away but really close friend and we shared the same idea of creating a learning environment on the boat and he helped me form a lot of the principles that we continue to use with new crew he uh, had a good friend Blake who was really interested in learning sailing and had the right mentality and ability to show up and James helped facilitate that excitement and then we got him on board and we needed help for some races we were really shorthanded we figured we'd go out with just James Blake and I a few nights a week and really get Blake fast-tracked up to speed. Uh, we'd sit down beforehand, we'd talk about what we need to do, and uh, then we'd go out and, and do it. I think it was the first or the second time we took Blake out. We put the spinnaker up, Blake was running the pit, kite went up, everything was great. Cracked a beer, we're like, okay, cool, that was our first set. This is going really nicely, and the wind was pretty heavy. We we're sailing down towards the cruise ships, and as we're sailing towards the cruise ships, it's time to get the kite down, but we were just having such a nice time out there, and everyone was enjoying the moment. We got a little late, and we went up to take the kite down, and, and Blake, the new guy in the pit, opened up the clutch to release the hired and the kite wouldn't come down. James was up on the bow and couldn't figure it out. And Blake, of course, thinks he's responsible. He's in the pit, but I, I can see from the helm that he's doing everything correctly. The line won't go out.
out and we're getting pretty close now to the cruise ships with a head of steam. And I start to panic and I think, okay, well, what are we going to do here? The kite's jammed. Something's happened. I'm going to have to turn up in the wind. It's going to be messy. How are we going to get out of this thing? And then, right, sort of at the last moment, I remembered that on our mast, we have a cleat that holds the spinnaker halyard. So if you're shorthanded sailing, you can hoist it from the mast and then jam it in that cleat and then kind of clean it up in the pit later. It hit me. I remembered that cleat and I yelled to James and he saw it and he knocked the halyard right out of the cleat. The sail came crashing down, luckily onto the deck, pulled it in. And it was sort of the last moment before we ran into the Disney cruise ship. Um, Definitely uh, a moment that made me realize that being mindful of these things are always important. And obviously safety is paramount, but that was a fun one that we always talk about to this day. Yeah. I mean, it's just thinking if you had hit the boat, I don't know. What then? Yeah, it, it was sort of at the point where if we didn't think of that, we didn't get that moment, we couldn't get the halyard down. We still had enough room to maneuver. And the way my thought process went, okay, we've tried, we can't figure it out, we can't get it. I'm, I'm out of runway before I can sort of make my last turn and go on a, a beam reach, sort of sail parallel to the shore and let the kite be a flag in the breeze and it'll be ugly, but release it of tension and then just sail into a direction where we're not going to hit anything and figure out the kite later. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular, it could be historical or sailing today, that you would dream of sailing with? I think one person, they're not necessarily historical, but I didn't get to sail with them too much. And that was my uncle Raleigh. Mm. He was a big sailing inspiration for my dad. They sailed a lot of miles together. And I never got to sail with Uncle Raleigh too much before he passed away. But hearing the stories from my dad about some of the adventures they went on, I wish I could sail with him some more and get to see what he was like out in the water. Do you have any sailing goals or things that you would like to achieve? I really want to do more offshore racing. In January, I'm doing the transatlantic race from the Canary Islands to the Caribbean. I'm really excited about that. Um, What is it again? It's the transatlantic race. So it crosses north of the equator from Canary Islands off the coast of Africa and then down to Grenada is pretty far south in the Caribbean. So I'm excited for that. I love the offshore stuff. I'd love to do the Transpac one of these coming years as well. If there is a boat that sails in San Diego that you'd like to hear an interview of, who would that be? Ooh, I've really enjoyed the ones that we've had so far. What would be another cool boat to see? I got to talk with the owner of Creative, Ed Sanford. Mm-hmm. We have some friends that sail on that boat and they recently did the Transpac. It's a J111. They have some really interesting stories from that race and Ed's an accomplished sailor. It would be great to hear more about his journeys and where he's gone with his boat. Did they win the Transpac? No, they didn't. They had an engine failure and oh. had turned around at one point to consider sailing back due to the engine, but then were able to fix it and turn the boat back around and complete the race. So their completion was sort of a victory in a way, mm. given their situation. Yeah. Would you have any advice for somebody who thinks that sailing is kind of a closed world, how to begin getting into it? Yeah, it depends on your community. When I moved to San Diego, I didn't know anybody in the community, but I posted in the Sailor's Crew Pool Facebook page and just posted, hey, I'm a sailor and I'm interested in doing some racing. And right away, somebody picked me up, which was great. And I actually sailed on that boat for quite some time and really enjoyed it before I bought Blind Squirrel. So I think for San Diego, we're really lucky. If you post on that page, you'll find somebody who will take you out for a race. And from there, I think because sailing has 
a lot of steps involved in every situation and there's a lot to, to learn. If you're interested in racing, do a little bit of pre-work. Go onto Google, onto YouTube and, and find some basic videos, some basic uh, instruction and get some of the basics down before you go. And then when you go for the first time racing, use it as a learning opportunity to build your base of knowledge off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think our sailing community is really core for me, obviously, and our friends. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for people who have never sailed to go learn and to figure out what sailing is all about and racing. But really, I think the onus is on the boat owners to make that happen. And all too often, boat owners sort of miss that mm-hmm. and miss the opportunity to maybe ratchet back their competitiveness or their tone or their anger. And that can lead to interested individuals saying, you know, this boat's, there's a lot of things going on here and this guy's yeah. yelling at me. I'm not really interested in this sport. So I would urge other boat owners to develop a way or find somebody who can help them develop a way to train people to have that sense of accomplishment on board. Mm-hmm. Start them out with the job that can help the team and make it fun. And if we can do that together as a community, we can get more people out and more people enjoy the sport that way. I like the advice of to the other boat owners to include new people. Yeah, it's a mentality thing and it requires a commitment to want to see that person come back and know what makes that person want to come back. And while we all may want to win the race, if that individual just wants to add something to the equation, winning the race is probably less important to them than just feeling comfortable and and learning. Any favorite snack you have on the go-tos? We always have the ramen noodle cups that come in the styrofoam packages. Mm -hmm. Those are the go-to for sure when it gets cold outside. And then I I like fruit, clementines and apples, things that, you know, keep you regular, keep things normal. That's usually a a favorite for me too. And forms of hydration on board? Definitely water, but also beer for sure is usually a hydrating form. (laughs) Yeah, I try to drink water as much as I can, but sometimes we forget and then kind of run out of energy. I was wondering, do you have any superstitions or rituals, anything that you do to get you on your right foot? One thing that we do as a team that I think we all really enjoy, and it's sort of like a pride point for us, we have for a lot of our races, someone will bring a Polaroid camera and on the bulkhead of blind scroll down below we have 30 or 40 funny pictures and goofy stuff and some serious ones and we really enjoy taking photos of the team and of our friends that used to sail with us that have moved on or visitors that had come and uh, we we really enjoy keeping that going as as sort of a a memory wall for the team yeah yeah thank you yeah yeah talking to me yeah absolutely sarah thanks for having me on Thank you so much, Mike, for talking with me. And I look forward to seeing your boat with the squirrel with big giant glasses racing again in the next year. Till next time, and till in between, see you out on the water.